Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rebel City Podcast. The song I'm using in the intro this week is Take This Lonely Heart by Nothing But Thieves. Um, it's from a, an EP that came out in 2018 called What Did You Think When You Made Me This Way on RCA Records. It's fucking incredible, man. I mean, I'd go so far to say probably some of the best three, four rock songs released in the UK last year. This week's episode, we had Elliot Reeves. Uh, Elliot's a fellow podcaster, and we're always in the podcasters' union, keen to get other podcasters on. I think we get some incredible conversations. Uh, we sat out in my back garden on a very nice day in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago. The sun was splitting the sky, we chilled out, we just had a conversation. Very, very easy guy to talk to, lovely guy. Um, Elliot's from Edinburgh, um, we had a chat about his upbringing what brought him to podcasting, why he loves the platform. We spoke about some podcasts that are going on in Glasgow and Scotland in general. And we also went into a wee bit of sort of spirituality. Um, I think it's one of the main reasons that drives people to get into a platform like podcasting is, is that we want more. And um, we had a really nice conversation. I even tried to <laughs> drop a joke about cleaning your legs in the shower from a viral post I've seen on Twitter which get met with blank faces by Elliot and Matt so I just quickly moved on and scrambled to get that one back but Elliot's a lovely guy what I particularly enjoyed about this conversation was that we come from very different places um, he's had very different work he's worked in banking and then moved into media um, his podcast is very different to mine um, we're just very different people but we were able to sit down and have a a crack conversation and you know, piss each other off, which is a subject that I'm particularly interested in, is how do we engage with people that we don't see eye to eye with. Not that I didn't see eye to eye with Elliot in any way, but I could tell that we were very different, but we had an excellent conversation between me, Elliot and Mark, so without further ado, just get you into the the episode, but I'm just going to play a wee bit more of this track because I just love it and the chorus is coming up. I might have been held drumming a wee bit though. But I hope you enjoy the episode. And as always, if you've got any feedback, questions, let us know. But here's Elliot. So welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. 
This week's episode, we've got Elliot Reeves. Thanks for coming on, Elliot. It's a pleasure, gents. Thanks so much for having me here. Not at all, man. Good to have you. Thank you. Matt's mic, yours sounds so much better than mine. I don't know what's going on. Is it maybe just closeness? Just my golden voice. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you came to my attention through KP. Yeah. I've been on the KP podcast a couple of times and I listened to your episodes, a, a great episode. Um, Thanks. But we've got a bit of a different sort of crowd to KP. So, What's your background? Just tell us a wee bit about your story. Yeah, sure thing. Um, this is always a, an interesting question. You never really know quite how far to start or how in depth to go. So I'll give you the kind of superficial version. And then if you want to you know, peel a little yeah. deeper, we can do that. So um, I left school in about 2001. Um, I was kind of motivated and quite inspired at that time. I went into uh, the university system, if you like. And uh, I just didn't quite get on that well with it. I never really, really passionately knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I started off on one track, which led me to another, which eventually I graduated in 2009 uh, in estate management, thinking that I would go into surveying, which is what my father had done mm -hmm. and still does. Um, but at that time, obviously coinciding with the greatest financial meltdown of all time, there were no jobs. Mm -hmm. So I fell into uh, a telephone banking role, if you like. So I did that for uh, a number of months at RBS, moved to Scottish Widows, did that for a couple of years, <coughs> and then eventually moved it properly into asset management uh, for a company called First State Investments, who are, to cut it short, they're the asset management wing of the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. So they're you know a big company okay. worldwide. And really, from my perspective, it was kind of like, you know, you had arrived, it was quite prestigious. Mm. I, I bought into the whole sort of ego thing. And then after doing that for a few years, um, through a, a sort of sequence of events, I ended up starting to do podcasting. So my first ever episode was under a different brand to Inspired Edinburgh. It was uh, Edinburgh Real. And uh, that was on the 22nd of February 2016. And... Uh, Really, since then, it's just been a continuous evolution and, and kind of doing that. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm still doing it. 2016 is quite early for a Scottish yeah, podcast. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, it is. I know. Well, I'm thinking that I'm seeing, you know, the likes of you guys and James English and um, is it Sean McDonald? Yeah, Blethered. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the Blethered podcast and KP. And, you know, there's this emergence of this new wave of podcasts coming through, which I think is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it's like, all right, okay. Kind of, you know, looking around like, oh, good. There's other people yeah. on the same on the same sort of path. Even when we started doing yeah. it last year, I think there was basically like James, Aye. and and then I found KP through KP contacting me. But it, is that right? There was very few that were actually very prominent, <clears throat> and I think that James just found his niche. Do you know mm -hmm. that, that yeah. type of way? But yeah, totally. Um, so I inspired Edinburgh. This is this is where we've. So what what's it about? Yeah, um, it, again, that's been sort of a gradual, uh, a gradual kind of figuring out. You start something and you're never... I wasn't, you know, completely clear when <clears throat> I set out originally what it was ever going to be. Um, it was just driven through a desire to have really deep, profound and, uh, you know, interesting conversations yep. with people, probably much like yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much. And then, I guess, partly out of... Uh, necessity but also partly out of the yearning to try and grow and evolve it's like right what is this thing and how does it become you know what mm -hmm. where does it, what 
what does the next stage look like? And I guess that's more around production of things like video, which I've become sort of proficient in, mm-hmm. podcasting, um, influencer marketing, and, and more sort of focusing on, right, what are the areas of expertise that I have and how do I, you know, expand? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where it is just now. But I mean, the core of it is always the the show yeah. and the guests that I have on. That really is the, the basis of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part that is really, you know, that's my true kind of, that's my mission, I guess. So is there topics and sort of areas that you kind of hover around generally or is there i mean there isn't there isn't it, it, predominantly it's about the actual guests themselves so mm-hmm. what i'm now looking for really is people that are like household names or have social followings of like 100k plus okay. or have done something kind of monumentous you know mm-hmm. and then uh, the, the the conversation just in in brief is past the person's past their background and whatnot then the present what they're currently doing looking a little bit into the future and then i like to go deep on some philosophical topics around things like um you know what's your purpose would you what mm-hmm. would you like your legacy to be uh, how would you change the world what would you say to your 20 year old self what's the best piece of advice you've okay received? those sorts of questions yeah mm-hmm. and just through my own um you know i suppose evolution i have gone through a, a, a fairly rapid growth and especially in a sort of spiritual sense mm. I've evolved a lot <clears throat> because I would have historically been pretty shut off from all mm-hmm. of that I was stuff. actually had a question later on but we may as well just go for it now then if yeah, yeah, let's do it. so <laughs> on your Twitter feed it says that you're agnostic yeah which is probably what what I am as well like um and me and Matt had a bit of a, a conversation was it with Leah Brooklyn <clears throat> yeah. about like spirituality versus religion mm. Um, and Matt had been saying that maybe religion and spirituality were the same thing for him up until we started to really think about it. And you, what's your sort of thoughts on? I mean, obviously you're not a religious person if you're agnostic. Yeah. But what is your spiritual beliefs? Uh, yeah, you can riff on this quite a lot. Um, where to start with it? So I think that, uh, like, where do religion and spirit spirituality intersect? For me, it's probably the um well right okay let's let's bring it back to basics um yeah i would say i'm agnostic historically i would have said i was an atheist Mm -hmm. so you know i didn't believe there was a god because i couldn't prove there was one Mm. yeah but then it was like well you know by that very logic you can't prove there is or isn't this is the thing so it's kind of like yeah exactly the question itself pretty much pushes you more towards agnostic because if you're saying i can't definitively prove or disprove something then how can you actually have a definitive an opinion? You know what I mean. So I'm exactly. probably in that respect, and that I'm I'm willing to believe it's possible that there's something else behind all it. But at the same time, I'd probably like to see it first before I went all in. <laughs> it, it it then comes down to how you define things like God. You know, mm-hmm. such sort of um, broad and slightly esoteric terms, because you know, under the sort of traditional doctrines, we're led to believe it's just some sort of human male-like person in the sky with a big beard yeah whereas you know god so um if you look at say the 12 steps uh, alcoholic um overeaters and mm-hmm. narcotics anonymous they all use the term god but in the sense that there is a higher power or something greater than the self yeah and you know i mean that's that is uh it's un- it's, it's indisputable yeah. that there is a force higher <coughs> and greater than that of just like me and and humanity yeah um because there was something that was responsible for creating 
all of this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so there has to be something out there. I just suppose uh, agnosticism in, in the way that I define it is specifically in religious terms. Um, but in a spiritual sense, I mean, I definitely believe that there is probably something. Yeah. But that might just be the sort of consciousness that pervades the universe as mm -hmm. opposed to a God figure. Have you seen the George Harrison documentary, Living in a Material World? I've not. No. So there's a good bit in that where he talks about um, speaking to the Maharishi. Hopefully I got that right there. Okay. I think it's close enough. Um, <laughs> so I tried to say it to my girlfriend last night. It was like, that, that's the Maharishi. <laughs> and she was like, okay. Um, and they, they, the, the sort of overriding <clears throat> message was, Unless you can prove it, it doesn't exist. So mm. go and try and find it. And how and what sort of methods have we got to find it? And the method that he teaches him is meditation. Okay. Is to go within um, and that God presides within you and you can access that. And if you really want... So he'd been taking LSD for like four or five years and he'd mm -hmm. kind of get disillusioned because he'd seen the damage that it was doing to other people, but not to him. And he decided that he would just try and get this spiritual journey within him. And I think that that is something that I've definitely went into as well as taking mushrooms and okay. things and doing stuff like that. So yeah, I, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely, as, as if somebody was to say, well, you can't prove it if you don't see it. It's like, well, if you go and if you want to try DMT, I'm pretty sure that you're going to see something that's going to <laughs> yeah. change your perception on that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, like having listened to people like Terence McKenna, Graham Hancock, and um, just all these incredible thinkers. Uh, I mean, Joe Rogan, I wouldn't necessarily put in the same category, but you know, an interesting <laughs> guy nonetheless. Mm, but speaking about things like DMT, I mean, that massively appeals to me. It's not something that I've done, but I would love to do it. Um, I know a few people that are facilitators of uh, 5-MeO DMT, like Bufo Alvarez, mm -hmm. which is uh, it's very similar. It's meant to be the strongest, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. entheogen in the, on the planet. So yeah, something like that would be awesome. But I mean, meditation for me has been a really powerful way of connecting with you know, whatever it is that's in here. Yeah. You know, what kind of meditation do you do? Uh, so I quite enjoy the sort of YouTube guided stuff, yeah. just kind of walking you through it. Mm -hmm. um, even starting with things like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like a body scan meditation, yeah. just as a, a means of kind of relaxing. Mm -hmm. I'd try a number of times a day to just sort of center myself by just bringing myself back into my breath, breath work. So just, yeah. You know, like a really long, deep breath, and just remembering that, like, yeah, you're okay. That's very similar to me. My, my meditation's functional, whereas I don't really engage in the, the sort of spiritual side of it in, in the same respect that you do. Okay. Um, so I'm the same, but it's, it's about mindfulness and just day-to-day yeah, -day control. It's yeah. more around that. <clears throat> what I've been doing lately is uh, sauna-based meditation, which I find really powerful. Okay. Uh, so going into like an extremely hot sauna, just yep. sitting there and trying to endure it for sort of 20 minutes and because it's such an extreme environment, you have to, you, you, you can't be in your head. You yeah. need to find a means of trying to escape it. I've done um, a lot of the Wim Hof methods. Yeah, Wim Hof just a bit breathing, to say about Wim A nice Hof. exposure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, like there is no escaping the present when you put yourself into such extreme environments. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily advocate that for everyone because it is, it's pretty yeah. heavy hitting. But, mm -hmm. you know, again, it's a powerful given tool. That you know, centering myself on my breath is a big point for me in terms of that meditation. Like being in a sauna where your breath is so heavily, you know, influenced by, you know, humidity and moisture and stuff, I think that would be 
it's so counterproductive for my process that I've just really? I, I don't see how anybody could I think things think like practice that. obviously you know what I mean but at the same yeah, time yeah. I couldn't see that working for I me personally things like <laughs> sauna uh, ice and flotation tanks can go one or two ways you could either you can go to the point where you forget about everything yeah you really so focused in the present or you could freak the fuck out because it is <laughs> yeah, an yeah. environment I have a cold <clears> shower every morning Right, I just cool, yeah. do try and do like five minutes in a cold shower, and the first sort of thirty seconds, you're like fuck, 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 and then after that, you're just like, this isn't actually that bad. <laughs> yeah, and you get so used to it that I found that when I'm outside and it's cold, it doesn't bother me. It's cold, pushing down with freezing mm-hmm. rain. I don't care. Yeah, it's yeah. Just like this is fine. This is totally fine. I, I love Wilhoff. I found him very, very recently. I think it was Russell Brand. Right, okay. He did the Under the Skin podcast and he explained yeah. and he, he did the breathing exercise where you can hold your breath for two minutes and you can actually do it. I mean, it's incredible if you just follow exactly what he tells right. you to do. Yeah, you yeah. can hold your breath for two minutes. It's just, it's unbelievable. But yeah, things like that, I think, I mean, I don't know what it is, but something about being uncomfortable for a small amount every day, whether it be in the gym, fasting, meditation because it's at first it's uncomfortable being in your own head it's yeah. not a comfortable experience just getting, getting in there and Aye. sitting there for a bit Aye, I've I, met my head <laughs> like, I, I don't that, like it there's, and Joe Rogan's a big advocate of this there's something about being uncomfortable for a small portion of your day that allows you to enjoy of course when you're comfortable rather yeah. than this feeling of like what's over your shoulder what's coming something's coming to get me yeah Take yeah the good with the bad Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the things that, in terms of the, like the hallucinogens and all the rest, I'd definitely be interested in, you know, the DMT, the mushrooms and all the rest. The, the problem is, is that I've got such an addictive personality, I'd probably just spend half my time off my face on LSD. It would be less about personal growth very, very quickly. Yeah, I've thought about that. I read something, and I can't remember who it was by, but it was a, it was a woman... Um, and she was saying that as long as you do it under ceremony, hmm. and by that what she means is, is don't just take mushrooms and go to a party. Yeah. Because that is fun. Yeah. Because I've done that, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> but it, if you do it with a purpose and an intention, yeah. you write out your intentions. I was just going to say that. It's, it's entirely about the intention. Mm. Yeah. You know, completely. It can be life-changing. Yeah. Um, and what really interests me about that is that all of these chemicals reside within yeah. our body. You can learn to access the psilocybin and the the DMT within you. So mm. stuff like that. It's interesting that you've you've brought that up. But that was something that we were going to talk about later. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you've put a fair amount of importance on the production of your podcast, and I watched I've watched three episodes, and it looks and sounds. Way better than anything that we're Thanks, doing. Mate. I mean, we're literally <laughs> on an iPhone <laughs> and some mics going into a MacBook. But um, was that a way for you to try and stand out? Because the podcast market is so congested now. Yeah. Um, was that a way for you to try and stand out? Or was it just something that you personally thought, this is the way that I want to do it? Um, it wasn't as a, a means of standing out. Because when I started, there wasn't a huge amount of what I would consider competition. And I, I honestly don't really see the... The sort of idea of competition for me is um, I don't get to, I try not to, 
I try not to get too caught up in it mm -hmm. because if you start looking at what other people are doing and you're like, oh, he's getting more views or yeah. you know, he's more engaged, it's just you're never you're never winning that battle. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you even if you choose the top fifty podcasters in the world, like they're all entirely <clears throat> different, they're all talking about different stuff, they've yep. all got different audiences. Yeah, you just kind of have to do what you're doing. And given the nature of the conversations that I have, it's always going to be quite niche, I think, mm. because it doesn't appeal to just like the the everyman. Um, that's that's just my own perspective. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm I'm wrong in that. But so to go back to your question, basically when I started out, I had no background whatsoever in film or anything like that. It was all new to me, and I reached out to countless people. Please, can you help me? And you just hear nothing back. Yeah. And really, it was just I wanted to create a world class show. That was my intention from the start. And because I wasn't getting any help from anyone, it was like, well, it's either going to be done by myself or, you know, by nobody. Yeah. So, so you just have to kind of do it yourself and you have to learn and you have to figure it out. And so when I started originally, um, I literally had, it was an iPhone that I used for mm. my first ever one. My first ever interview is still online, man. And I've not watched it recently, but it's, it would be horrible to watch it. Yeah, it would be, it would be grim. It was uh, an iPhone and I had one other camcorder <clears throat> and I actually had another camera with me. But I didn't realize at that time that a camera had a, like a 29, 30 minute shut off. So it doesn't go for a certain amount of time. I was like, why is that turning itself off? You, you, that was, you, you learned. That was exactly <laughs> so the same problem. <laughs> Our first episode was two half hour segments because we didn't understand why the camera turned itself off. <laughs> yeah. It just turned out as a limitation within a DSLR camera. <laughs> it's, again, it's all stuff that you learn from the, the process. Mm -hmm. um, and so once I'd done the first episode, I bought then lights and then I bought more cameras and then I just kept sort of buying more and evolving and evolving and evolving. And I now have, um, I have every single piece of equipment that I use now isn't the same piece that I used when I started. Yeah. So I bought everything's new, basically, mm -hmm. um, just bits and pieces as I've gone. And uh, yeah, it's like an eight camera setup with like professional lights and sort of broadcast quality um, audio. And it kind of had to get that level of investment because it was never going to look or sound as good as I wanted without it. Yeah. They say get started with what you have and look, yeah. that's fine and you know there's a lot of value in that but ultimately if you want to produce something that's like world class in my opinion then you kind of need to um yeah I just felt I needed to kind of raise the raise the stakes. Mm -hmm. Uh so yeah but that's it for me I'm I'm quite an obsessive kind of perfectionistic type of person so it needs to look a certain way yeah. and you know I spend hours color grading and tweaking and all that sort of stuff man it's it's kind of it's, it's a legacy piece for me it's like when mm -hmm. I die that's what's going to remain uh, in the same way that like a sculptor is yeah fucking over the top as that might sound uh, you know <laughs> not at all <laughs> it's, it's like that's it's my body of work it represents everything that I stand for hearing you describe that and I'm going to use two related by any chance <laughs> you know I mean like Consider that, that I've, I've, I've heard a lot of this before. <laughs> Consider that I, I don't colour grade anything, <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah, like we're still shooting on an iPhone. Um, I would, I would love. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, as you were saying that, as Matt's saying that, that's very. So I was sitting thinking, I'd love to do that, but it just comes into money and yeah, like different we'll bits and pieces type thing. But uh, I mean, it does look amazing. Thanks, man. And, and when I was watching what we were doing and looking at. Obviously, with Joe Rogan, you're like, what is he doing? He's he's got pretty much the same setup that you've got. I mean, it's, did you go on his website and just go, I'm just going to use that camera, I'm going to use that mic? <laughs> no, not Because that's what I did. Yeah, I, really? mean, I can't afford any of that, so I'm not <laughs> going to do that. Um, no, I mean, so I'm trying to think how it kind of was. I think it was just 
just buying random bits and pieces, to be honest. I was just buying kind of random stuff and what kind of felt right and what worked. It was more around that. So. Yeah, rather than going in and it wasn't, it, there was stealing no, somebody's yeah. tech. <laughs> no, there was none of that. It was, it's all pretty much, uh, it's all my own IP, man. It's all... Joe Rogan's so, uh, maybe missing a trick on his website where he can just itemise every bit of kit he uses right. and put a buy button next to it. He's done it. <laughs> I think he's done it. I've seen that. He's all over that shit. Yeah, uh, you, can yeah. on, you can go on to an old website. Oh no, you can just feel free to... Sorry, just a neighbour coming in and asking us a question. Um, so, yeah, aye, he's pretty much done that and I think that you can, he'll probably get a cut of the Amazon. You've got to imagine yeah, so. definitely. More than likely. So you've interviewed some like really kind of inspiring folk. Mm -hmm. Who do you think's the most inspiring? Or I think maybe a better question would be, what's what are the common themes that you find amongst these people that have been successful and... Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I kind of preempted that you might ask something similar. I mean, I've never, I don't know that I've ever said this on a podcast, but one of the um, guests that I had on, a guy called Mustafa Salami, okay. um, he's, he's one of, I think, 15 or 16 people on the entire planet who have completed the Explorer's Grand Slam, all right. which is all seven summits and the North and South Pole. So this is a guy who originally was uh, a, a refugee living in Jordan. He came over to Edinburgh. He was living in Edinburgh and working at the Sheraton Hotel. He mm -hmm. wanted to work in hospitality and he had a dream. Now this, when he says a dream, it's like a premonition. He woke up one night in like a cold sweat. He saw himself on the top of the highest point in the world. He didn't even know where that was. He didn't even know, he thought it was in America. Mm -hmm. um, he just saw himself on the top of the highest point in the mountain doing a call to prayer. He had never climbed Arthur's seat, let alone, you know, yeah. the, the Himalayas. And then he just, um, he was like, this is my mission, I have to do this. And then set about just kind of gradually, you know, becoming a climber and is now, he takes people up Everest and um, has raised millions of pounds for charity. That's wild. Children's cancer and stuff. I mean, that's, that's crazy. It's absolutely insane. He's like a Jaguar Land Rover ambassador and he's just, yeah, he's Fair absolutely crushing it. So he's a... Isn't um, it glad that I've not had any dreams that have sent me up mountains, to be honest with you, after that? I'm wanting to have a dream that's going to send me up a mountain now after that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wonder, try to go back and track my dreams. Like, uh, where the, the inspiration comes from. That's amazing, though, to think that somebody just had that and then went about yeah. just going and doing. It, precisely. That. I mean, he literally had no idea what he was doing, <clears> so I think he went to Arthur's seat. He, through his work at the hotel, he knew a guy who worked in the, the press. Mm -hmm. So he got the guy and he, he was taking, um, the press guy was taking photos of Mustafa and he was like sort of half trying to climb this rock. And mm -hmm. the guy's like, you don't have a clue what you're doing, do you? He's like, no idea. I just know that I'm meant to do this. That's like, amazing. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. Do you think there's a secret? See, that there's the, there's the book and the audio and the, the movie, The Secret, where the yeah, audience... Yeah super famous people that have, and they, they all sort of say the same thing it's about visualization manifestation and manifest yeah, it in your yeah. life do you think that that's true i mean i was listening to Darren brown talk about this and he was saying that well you don't hear about the people you don't they don't speak to the people that do these things that don't succeed of which there are millions yeah it's like is it really a secret or is it just that it just so happens that this this sort of cluster of people have been doing this? Thing? Yeah, yeah. Do you think there is like a, a sort of secret to success? Or I think my my thoughts on it, and this is where I've got this for the sort of Joe Rogan sort of thing, is is that just do the work. Yeah. That's the secret. Yeah, just yeah. Put some effort in, 
and something will happen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like the old sort of confirmation bias thing that if you look at enough, if you take a sample of people that have done anything outrageous, then there's probably kind of commonalities between them. Yeah. There's probably common <clears throat> threads, but to say that they've all used the same approach in doing it is kind of a bit glib. Yeah. Um, from like my own, own observations and having spoken to a lot of like really pretty, you know, out there people, just relentless pursuit of a goal, I guess, and having no... Um, really care or consideration about whether you fail in your attempts, um, but just to kind of continue with it. So, yeah, success pretty much comes through like repetition uh, and just being like absolutely focused on your mm -hmm. your target. I guess mm -hmm. I would say. Mm. Yeah. What kind of targets have you got for yourself? So when I started out originally, it was like if I had uh, interviewed two people then that would have been me done. And yeah. I've interviewed them. It was Dan Pena, the $50 billion man, and yeah. Peter Sage, uh, who is like an enlightened entrepreneur. So beyond that, it's kind of difficult to say. I mean, it would just be, you know, who's next on my big name guest list, Wim Hof, for example, um, right. who I'm hoping to try and get maybe like later this year. Um, Do you yeah. have like a tactic for that? Because... <laughs> Literally, my tactic is just DM people on Twitter. Like, I'm, I've been reading a lot of John Ronson. Okay. I've seen that he was playing in Glasgow, and I just thought, Do you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to DM him on Twitter. And I, I, get, I get a couple of retweets, and I thought, that's him acknowledging that I've sent him a DM, yeah. but he's not coming on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that is literally, I mean, it's been successful. Yeah. On, I mean, you're here, for instance. Um, we've had a couple of people like the football against criminalisation guys that they don't accept DMs and I just went into one of their tweets and just went have a look at my podcast and then they right? come on and yeah so it's, it's been successful thus far but yeah I mean this is purely I've got for I've like shorten people's DMs with some likes and some retweets and like build a rapport but I, uh, <laughs> I, I it doesn't always pan out I think my one was Danny McCaskill the, the BMX guy because yeah, I'm like yeah. I watched all his videos and everything and it was the first time I reached out to somebody and was like so you know Glasgow connection get him in have a chat and they're like what's your pack I was like, so I never mind then. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. Like, Ideas <laughs> above our station. You know, like, pure, thanks, for, thanks for replying to the email, but uh, we'll, we'll talk to you maybe another time. Yeah, <laughs> Is that something yeah, yeah. That you get like a media pack and stuff that you would send it to people? I've you just got like a two pager kind of guest sheet um, that I send to every, uh, every person that I approach that is basically, uh, you know, some of my previous guests, um, my own personal sort of mission statement. Um, some feedback that I've had and then some just like images of my studio setup which you know kind of sells itself yeah like mm. in my opinion it looks pretty cool yeah um, not to be kind of braggadocious or anything I'm very lucky to have access oh. to a, a room like that so it's cool but um, it's just hit or miss man it's just I don't have I'm I'm very I don't want to use the word incoherent. It makes me sound, you know, not credible. <laughs> but no, it's just, I just do it quite um, <clears throat> like on a whim. Talk. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, if it feels right, I tend to trust in, I don't know what you call it, intuition or, mm. again, mm. it's that higher power, man. If I'm supposed to have Wim Hof on my podcast, it'll all happen at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, do, just manifest it. Do you find Edinburgh is a tough place to get guests? Very. Because, I mean, even in Glasgow, I'm sort of, we're, we're sort of hitting a bit of a ceiling where you're kind of like, where else do we turn? Because 100%, within yeah. the city, but even Glasgow, I would think, from my perception, is would be way better for getting people in because they might be in the city. If there's a band touring 
they're always going to be in Glasgow. If there's yeah. like a book tour, they're always going to be in Glasgow. Edinburgh seems to be one of these cities where a bit of a sleeping giant, almost, <laughs> as far as like the media circuit's concerned. It's, it's, it's very, very asleep, you know? It's like why, unconscious. Why is that? Mate, I've no idea. It's, I've spoke to um, Darren uh, Kinlock, mm -hmm. I am KP, about this a little bit, how <clears throat> Edinburgh is just quite traditional. Uh, it's quite... I don't know. It's not very cutting edge when it comes to things like media. Mm. Um, Glasgow's so much more bustling. And, you know, even like podcasts through here are kind of celebrated. And people are like, oh, yeah, like this guy's a podcaster. Mm -hmm. you, you never hear that in Edinburgh. And maybe it's just because I'm not paying attention to it. But I don't think so, man. I no. think there's no, literally think there is... like you and KP and then yeah, you man. don't really see much else. Not Pretty much. Yeah. And, and like, for, so from my point of view, I find it quite challenging to try and engage people or kind of get the word out there because it's like does anyone actually care mm -hmm. but when i started originally i was never looking to try and make it you know edinburgh it's got edinburgh in the name just kind of by proxy because that's where it is but it was never about it, the local people it was just about getting like a worldwide audience so mm -hmm. at least 50 percent of my guests aren't from edinburgh probably more mm -hmm. than that and and really it's just a case of like yeah, researching people. It's now, now I'm at the stage where I'm trying to find ways to entice people to come to Edinburgh. So if that means having to kind of put on a, an event with them or whatever to kind of make it mm. worthwhile, then these are the sorts of things that you have to look fringe at. Fringe must be useful. Uh, yeah, someone asked so that the other day. Is the fringe not? It's like, but the, you know, you're not getting the sort of global thought leader types that I'm looking for. Mm. You know, your sort of TED global speakers or. Um, yeah, it just doesn't attract, it, it, it doesn't attract, well, it attracts a lot of maybe famous or celebrity people, but not that many people that want to sit for an hour and talk about consciousness and purpose. Okay, mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? That's, yeah. that's now my challenge is that whilst you can get somebody who's got a prominent profile, mm -hmm. I'm now looking to get people that I can really have a, the type of conversation that I want to have and kind of get value out of it yeah. and give value to others from it. I think one of the big things as well, especially when you compare, you know, obviously how things are set up in Glasgow and Edinburgh, there are the BBC, STV, Daily Record. Those are multiple, sort of sizable Scottish media institutions. Yeah, Channel yeah. Four, you know, various things like that, all based here as well. Which I think probably, you know, helps in that respect a wee bit because we've already started dipping into, you know, journalists and freelancers in the city that have, you know, hit on topics that we've found interesting and stuff like that. And I think yeah. there's definitely many are, you know, readily available pool in that respect to sit and talk about current events and you know, individual sort of, you know, situations and topics like that, which mm -hmm. maybe you don't get the benefit of because, for whatever reason, Edinburgh doesn't seem to have that, doesn't. you know, media infrastructure there. Yeah, it just, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. I don't, I was thinking about it when I heard it on KP, and I was thinking, maybe this is what they mean by the legacy of things like the Commonwealth Games. When they, they say that these things leave a legacy, there's mm. an infrastructure that's built up, and obviously the BBC would have had to have built a big infrastructure in the city, and, and like Matt said, the Clyde side down at the Hydro. I mean, if you were to go back five years, six years, and walk down there and walk down there now, it's unrecognisable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You would be like, what has happened? It's literally like. It's like the media money. quarter of Glasgow, and it used to be like a pure smack them yeah <laughs> pretty much i mean this pretty much right. the 10 years ago one, aye. yeah really? the science center at one side the exhibition center at the other and nothing else there and Just now a waste run. everything's there like since they built well, riverside and all these places swg3 etc it's totally been rejuvenated isn't it? how do you feel about the something that i've noticed recently is like the commercialization of podcasting so like 
the Clyde One Super Scoreboard podcast is just basically their show packaged and stuck on iTunes, but it's in the top ten of like sports podcasts. And the, when you look at the sort of top fifty podcasts, there's a lot of it is BBC, mm. so the Peter Crouch one or mm-hmm. like Radio Five More and corporate. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like podcasting's getting hijacked because they're not podcasts. No, I know. They're radio they're shows. Radio. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're just packaging it and saying this is a podcast yeah, just yeah. to get sort of listeners. Yeah. Like, I'm a bit, I don't know if I'm being a bit of a purist but going, that's not a podcast. Like, stop calling that a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, the term podcast is just such a sort of broad brush approach to just labelling something mm. that is like an on-demand kind of radio or audio thing. Because, um, I mean, you get people that have, I think, podcasts that are more like music, you know, I think they still kind of call like uh, like an Armin Van Buren type thing. I think it might be radio show or podcast, but it's in a podcast format. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, man. I'm like, yeah, the, the, just throwing money at something and kind of putting a BBC label in it doesn't make it any better mm. or more of a podcast. Yeah. And I find it quite frustrating, I guess, because I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, uh, what attracted me to podcasts, and I don't know if this is the same with you, is, is that... I was looking for something more than what the mainstream media was given at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And when I found, I think the first podcast that I found, and I think this is a lot of cases for people that get in around about the sort of 2016, 2017, was Joe Rogan. And what I loved about it was is that you can't get away. There's no no running away. I mean, there was a couple of people that I'd seen on his show where I was thinking, <coughs> I really want to find out what this guy's all about because I either love or hate him and I yeah. don't know. And when somebody sits down and speaks for two and a half hours, there's no lying. You can see it in their face. I mean, one of the ones that yeah. really, the first one where I went, right, this is it for me. This is the platform was Milo Yelenopis. Yeah. But I was like, I think this guy's a scumbag. Right, and okay. I watched him for an hour and went, he is a scumbag. <laughs> right, I've got it. And But also, it gave me a, yeah. it gave me an idea of where that guy's mind was and okay. how it worked. And I was thinking, I, I understand this guy a wee bit better. And also... When I watched some of the stuff on YouTube, it was like I can see what's attractive about him. Why people are like, right, this yeah. is a, a gay guy that is not talking in the same sort of way that what you, your mind thinks a gay guy should be thinking. So I understand why people are like, right, I'm going to listen to what this guy's got to say. But <clears throat> what was my point here? Yeah, so that is what is what attracted me was that it was something other than the mainstream media. And what worries me is is that they're just going to swallow it up and spit it out, just yeah. like they've done with everything else that exists. Yeah. I mean, do do we do we really need like a weekly half hour podcast on like Line of Duty? You know what I mean? Like this is the you talk about the BBC and these big guys come in and they, they take the format and kind of as you say manipulate it for their own purposes, and you're like. I don't know, you know what I mean? It's, it's got that big brother's little brother feel to it where you've got some dickhead, like, you know, whoever, Rylan, what's his name, <laughs> sitting in a studio <laughs> talking about other dickheads sitting in a house doing nothing, you know what I mean? And you're a bit like, who needs this? And I think we're moving into that with some of these, uh, you know, the Game of Thrones podcasts. And I know people watch them, but again, it's just an extension of that thing you're talking about where big business and corporate media entities are coming in and going, how can we take up more of this space yeah. for our own purposes? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, and you're a bit like... It's because they, they identify that it's a, a massive threat to their business model. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that is inevitable and you can't avoid it. But ultimately, it's it's the, the listener or the viewer's decision as to whether or not they wish to engage with yeah. that. And I'd be inclined to vote by, you know, not listening to it um, and listening to yeah. shows like this, uh, you yeah. know, where the conversations well. are a bit more real. I am we. And I think one of the things about the, the sort of longer form format is that as you say, you guy like your Yanis, whatever his name is, 
and you know various other folk. I know Roseanne um, Bard did quite a lengthy episode and get into some obviously deep water. And I think what it does is it combats the soundbite culture in media. So these guys, your Tommy Robinsons and you know whoever else it happens to be, Bannons and all that, they have looked at how the media operates and focused on how to be punchy, how to be in people's faces, how to make that impact that causes outrage and mm-hmm. all the things that they're wanting to generate and people to obviously follow their own goals. Mm-hmm. But like, if you want to sit down and talk to somebody for two hours, three hours, that mindset that they're in about sound bites, about punchiness, they, they don't have that. It completely disarms them, uh, the entire psychology of how they behave. And mm-hmm. I think when you've then got to actually sit and justify yourself, that's when you see these people fall apart. And I think that's one of the things about the format that I like the mm. most is that it completely disarms people who are professionally slick when it comes to this type of yeah, thing. Yeah. It also gives a platform, who knows what that is. It also gives a platform, because the, the interesting one about the Roseanne Barr one was that um, she was a victim of the clickbait culture. And when she went on Joe Rogan, you're just like, right, so she was like, I was on Ambient, I was drinking whiskey, mm-hmm. and I don't remember tweeting. And when she speaks, you're just like, this is somebody that's ill, almost. Yeah, she's yeah, sick, yeah. She's and a, no. jumped all over it because she's a high-profile sick person that's yeah. made a mistake. So I think that it does two things. It it shows up people for who they actually are, mm-hmm. but also it gives a platform to people that have been shamed mm-hmm. for to just contextualise this sort of what's happened to them. Mm. I think that we're seeing... Um, we've spoke about this before in the podcast, just to get your sort of opinion on this, is that the, the mainstream's almost like consuming itself with this sort of the death croaks it's sort of this is the end of that type of culture and we've seen it recently with Jeremy Kyle mm-hmm. very recently yeah, yeah. with Jeremy Kyle mm-hmm. and Danny Baker mm-hmm. where they've almost I mean the Jeremy Kyle show was did you see much about the situation that had happened where somebody died after an episode I, I know what's happened I don't I mean it's never something that I've no. been particularly yeah, interested I mean, in I've seen, yeah, yeah. Right. I've seen a couple yeah. of episodes and I've read a couple articles since just because I'm interested it seems that the guy um, has died following it and, and we're starting to sort of evaluate what is this type of show doing and why do we need it we Yeah, we've spent how long watching X Factor and we've watched the evolution of that type of show go from being a talent show that produced like Will Young to yeah, the yeah. Britain's Got Talent that's where somebody's got a dance and dog jump through a hoop. Even worse, <laughs> even worse than that, Susan Boyle. Even worse than that. Let me just say that. Not as, not as an act because Susan Boyle is undoubtedly a talented singer, yeah. but she's undoubtedly mentally unwell. And she was thrown in at the deep end. She was dive. thrown in. And yeah. the, 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 the sort of in the semi-final when she didn't get through she had a big sort of outburst and mm-hmm. see these things i think we're starting to reevaluate like why are we doing these things and do we actually need them and i think that this is just the mainstream just I mean, how many is cannibalizing there's not a number of like suicides and attempted suicides off the back hangs like love island and was there no one yeah that? there was a like muggy three. mike there was a girl who was on Love Island as well that they both committed to. Like, I've, I've, I've had a conversation with my wife about this and just said, is it not like grossly irresponsible of the TV producers that once the person's been through that and had this insane level of celebrity kind of thrust upon them, that they're then just left to just kind of make their own Work way in life? Themselves, like, yeah. Should there not be some sort of, not support system, which I, like Christ, you know, g- give them a break. 
But those but to, to just go from that to just drop off a cliff basically is how it happens because yeah. a year's passed and now it's the next iteration of the, the show. Absolutely. It's it's not it's not it, in my um, in my opinion it's just not that ethical. No, and I think as well you've seen it and, and the one that always astounded me was the music ones. So, like you say, America's Got Talent, you know, X Factor or whatever it is. You've had pretty, you know, the fellow Brookstein even glasses like Kelly Clarkson and. Um, kind of similar to the Susan Ball thing where they had this thrust upon them and went, I don't like this. But you think that somebody with the experience in it, like a cowl or whatever, has this infrastructure that should be able to handle that. I don't see how this far down the line in the music industry, they have people who have this sudden fame thrust upon them mm-hmm. and they don't have you know, structures in place yeah. to actually help them manage it. I mean, I think yeah. something that's become more prominent in football with like development liaisons and stuff like that. So they bring a guy in for Brazil. They know that a guy who, who's lived his entire days in Brazil is not going to come to Glasgow and have a great time to start with. So they put somebody in charge of making sure he has a house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. savings and cars and schools for the kids and, all, and, and let's settle them in. And I'm like, why at that level does do these shows, the Love Islands, the X Factors and the rest that not have that duty of care upon them? It, it, it baffles me. What do you think? Because they've got an idea. Because <laughs> they just don't care. Aye. They fundamentally exactly do not say. care. Absolutely. You know, they are out for themselves, corporate giants or, you know, media moguls that are just completely focused on themselves, their own significance, money, you know, all yeah. basically all the negative qualities of, of humans that really seems to manifest the most when they have money and mm-hmm. power and all this stuff, you know. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, you're right. I don't know if the media's, mainstream media is cannibalizing itself. I hope it is. Um, you know, I don't care for the mainstream media whatsoever. I don't engage with actually don't watch anything on television nowadays virtually unless it's a live UFC event I watch most things on catch up or yep. Netflix yeah I'm the exact same um, live I don't, sport yeah, and nothing I, else I pay no attention to Sky News uh, newspapers or anything of that ilk definitely um, enjoy the death of print media I've got to say that yeah, much yeah no, but we'll I mean, have a party yeah. But it's like um, one of the the most sort of like prime examples of this that we're seeing now is PewDiePie versus T City, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and there are again a, a corporate mega, um, monolith who are just throwing money and producing like however many episodes of this stuff it is on a on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Like this one guy who's produced independent content on his own for so many years and been the king of the jungle in the YouTube sense, like that that's gonna run out of time. Yeah. He he just can't he can't go on like that because you can't compete when people are throwing millions of pounds at something. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't it, actually it's, know, it's it's a shame. I don't actually know I mean I know who PewDiePie is <laughs> and I know yeah. that he's got a bit yeah a a, a sort of reputation um but i don't know he's got about 95 million subscribers yeah there seems to be a lot of this <laughs> nowadays where people mention people's names and i'm like who's that and it's really like, no but they've got millions and millions and millions of followers yeah and yeah so much influence over young people as well that mm-hmm. i'm just sitting there going i've got no idea who this guy but, is. but again it's people like that that will start to destabilize the mainstream stuff mm-hmm. because so much and that's why the emergence of people like tommy robinson milo um, Sargon, like Count Dankula, all these guys. I, yeah. I know that they, these are all sort of right of center, if you like, mm-hmm. but uh, they've all done a, a good job as far as creating their own profile as well yeah. and finding people that want to engage in their stuff. And to be honest, man, like I actually, I will listen to quite a lot of their ideas, um, not because I'm necessarily a fan of that way of thought, but just simply to challenge my own notions. Yeah. I think there's a real danger of just being in an echo chamber and just listening to the same ideas and the same viewpoints just being kind of, uh, you know, solidified. Yeah. 
because then ultimately like who's challenge you know at what stage do you think actually maybe i'm wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> i worry i mean we went through a a, a, a we had a conversation when we first started the podcast where yep. i said to matt that um I, I follow a lot of people that i disagree with to get the alternative yeah. point of view and to get and I, I i do have a slight bit of concern about what happens when people go into your followers or who you follow and look at who you follow mm. and then start to think who, what, how does that, what is this guy thinking? Why yeah. is he following like Count Dankula? Why is he like... But I'm, in this, I'm of the same opinion as you that I, I want to hear these points of view one, to challenge my own thoughts but also so that if somebody comes to me with them that I know what I'm talking about mm. and, I can, and I know exactly how I feel yeah, about precisely. the rather than me just getting caught in a I don't know what you're talking about and yeah, then they make yeah. you look like an idiot. Well, let's just play that out for a minute, okay? So let's assume that I follow... Sargon of Akkad, Tommy Robinson, you know, a half a dozen people that are viewed by the mainstream, I'll use mainstream loosely, as unsavory individuals. So what does that make me? What, you know, why should I care about someone else's judgment mm -hmm. of whether I follow them or not? Ultimately, like, I'm a grown-up and I make my own decisions. And if I want to follow them and listen to what they have to say, then that's my prerogative and I'm not going to force it upon you. Mm. But don't tell me what I can and can't listen to. That's it. So if you want to judge me for it, then fill your boots, man. But mm -hmm. I'm, not, you know, I'm me and, and I'm going to do me. That's one of the best things about free speech, isn't it? Is that if you wait long <laughs> enough, everybody reveals exactly what type of prick they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so let's just get this out the road. Do you wash your legs when you're in the shower? Do I wash my legs when I'm in have the you shower? Seen this online? Is that a legit have you, question? Have you seen this online? Um, so, I don't, actually. I'm going to just go on to like, how you feel social media has <laughs> like a positive coming either no no, 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 like, um, I, I just want to have a sort of conversation on the sort of positive and negative aspects of social media but something that came up a couple of weeks ago was is that or a week ago was a guy put a poll online uh, on twitter and it was like do you wash your legs when you're in the shower and they get like five million engagements of people <laughs> clicking yes or no um and i, I mean other than, I, I mean, I don't really care for the answer. I mean, who cares if you... But, yeah. but it just shows the, yeah. the sort of level of distraction that sort of social media, because people were in uproar about Aye. this. The, the, the level Seriously. of discourses yeah. we have as a society. What yeah. do you call this? Is it a bap or a roll when you're like, fuck up? Aye. <laughs> like, like the, the, the amount of people that were, when the, the, la this, the latest season of Game of Thrones came online, or it's launched... Yes. This, I don't watch Game of Thrones, that makes me better. Or <laughs> if you don't watch Game of Thrones, that makes me better than you. And oh it's just sort God, of like, man. guys, can we just accept that if you don't watch it, you're cool. If you do watch yeah. it, you're cool. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, like, there's no virtue in uh, not watching Game of Thrones or yeah. watching Game of Thrones. But um, I think the weekly battle between spoilers, and I think we've been in a, bit of a weird spell in that we're coming to the wind-up of Star Wars. We've had the wind-up of the Avengers. We're getting towards the wind-up of Game of Thrones. So there's quite a lot of big, you know, cultural events on the on the often where you know people are worried about spoilers and endings and all the rest and I think I tweeted it the other day that I think a lot of people are taking that way too seriously and I think that's maybe part of the you know the microcosm of like social media and yeah. how people get all angry and shit but like I had a conversation with a mate and you know more actually more than one mate who had what they felt was legitimate criticisms of the military tactics used in the battle of Winterfell and I was like mate just like set the next couple out, all right? You know what I mean? Like people who like want to get angry about the physics of Star Wars, that bomb would never. You know, like mate, 
come on, we're all here for the lightsabers, like chill out. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I think we need to like have folks simmered in a wee bit with these things. I definitely think that there's a few kind of red flags in the world at the moment as to the sort of degradation of humanity. Mm. And the outrage culture thing is definitely one of them. Um, and again, the, the fact that, you know, people are getting 50 million engagements or whatever it is on like ludicrous questions mm. and a BAP or a role argument. I'm yeah. sorry, but I mean, we need to get a grip of ourselves. Yeah. Is my, uh, overall <laughs> social media has been positive or do you think overall I mean it's a difficult question but I think that I know that I was listening to the Sam Harris podcast and they were talking about big data and um, I can't remember the name of the guy that was on it but he was saying that they figured out pretty early on that so this guy was in a sort of trends and he advised Facebook and Twitter on trends and how to sort of manipulate things so really insightful some of the stuff you've not listened to it I would some of the stuff's scary as fuck but um, he was saying that they figured out pretty early on that if something is is negative it would have four times the amount of engagement as something that's positive so Mm -hmm. social the social platforms will push the negative slant on pretty much everything Mm -hmm. so I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's maybe just our perception is, is that it's overall been a negative thing for humanity or but for me there are definitely positive things that have come out of social media, such as, like, I mean, there's a lot of people that can work where they want to work. I mean, the amount of people that have went to, like, Bali and now they're, like, influencers yeah, yeah, or yeah. They, they sell coaching programs or here's how to improve your life, but they themselves just go and live, like, a happy life. I've interviewed a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's been really positive <laughs> for these people. And, oh, for sure. And if I could get myself into that space, I'd be loving it. Like, As an influencer? Not really an influencer, but just more like the idea that I don't need to work a 95 and that oh I could God, maybe just amazing. help people and mm. go and live wherever I want on the planet rather than being sort of socially bound to where I am and work and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. do you feel that it, for yourself, like personally, has it been a more positive experience? Or It kind of depends. I probably look at it maybe platform to platform, um, you know, because... So Twitter is a platform that I'm not fanatical about these days because I just feel as though it's a lot of people are there just to have arguments or debate, mm-hmm. you know, 240 characters of just hate. Yeah. Uh, again, it depends, I suppose, who you're following and who you're engaging with and stuff. And I've actually become extremely selective on Facebook as to the people I follow. It might sound a bit kind of, you know, dickish, but um, if people are sharing stuff that I just don't kind of have time for then I'm like nah, sorry uh, so uh, yeah it just kind of depends man There's this whole trolling culture as well and um, people leaving sort of toxic comments on your like, yeah. YouTube videos or you know if you share something on Reddit you just end up getting absolutely flamed or so there's you know like Facebook is probably Facebook and LinkedIn actually are on the sort of more positive end of the spectrum mm-hmm. and then is it's kind of a sliding scale towards Twitter and then maybe Reddit and a few others mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of I just think it's going to depend on your usage isn't it? I mean I'm, I'm uh, Facebook for me is somewhere where I interact with people that I actually know on a personal level exactly. aunties and uncles and grandparents and all the rest of it whereas yeah. Twitter is somewhere that I engage with people that I don't know mm-hmm. um, and as a Celtic fan it's predominantly Celtic fans on my sort of my personal Twitter account Okay. so it's largely just banter about football so I see the opposite where Facebook doesn't really date for me because you know I don't really like you know 40 pictures of people's wings and Twitter does date for me because 
you know, there is an actual bit of lively banter going on just in terms of how I've set my sort of profile up. So mm-hmm. I think it is, you know, platform to platform, but it's also, you know, individual to individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I found it quite intimidating when we first started doing the podcast, the idea of putting myself out there. Right, okay. And thinking, oof, what if I just start getting hate on YouTube and people just being like, a f- what the fuck is going on here? Like, <laughs> what he's doing? And it's quite a, it's quite daunting. It's very like, did you find that yourself when you were first, or did you just go into it just sort of open minded and just like let's just put it out? And yeah, man, T- totally. Like it. so, I mean, again, part of my own sort of personal evolution has been to break down some of the more negative habits and thoughts and beliefs that I have, and one of them is very much around judgment. So I try and look at everything through a lens of non-judgment. I mean, I'm human, so I'm not perfect. But I mean, I think if people tended to try and look at things from just that sort of completely non-biased, impartial perspective, Mm. then you you have a very fresh view of things. And so when I started up originally, it was just, I just wanted to have, you know, good conversations with people. And if two people watched it, great. If two million people watched it, great. It doesn't doesn't change my reasons for doing it. Yeah. And if people don't like it, then you know, again, that's that's kind of up to them. And like, I can't I can't control how other people see me or what they think of the content that I produce. I just mm. do my best job to try and have an interesting conversation, and that's pretty much the extent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, you're always going to get people, I guess, that are going to hate on you uh, if you're doing something out of the, you know, out out of here. Whenever you're doing anything out of the box or trying to challenge yourself or whatnot, mm-hmm. you'll get detractors. But it's just like. Yeah, yeah I think enough. that one of the things that recently I've been thinking about is that it's two guys that come from like the sort of east end of Glasgow. Maybe the podcast is something that people don't really expect us to be doing, talking about things like yeah. mental health and positive, and mm-hmm. it would be dead easy for us to go down a sort of route of uh, let's talk about gangs and yeah. Glasgow and it would be just the be, stereotypes for neck it would of the just woods. be very very easy for us to do that, that. would be really popular I would imagine <laughs> well, yeah. that would a, be super popular yeah, yeah. yeah there's a couple out there that, um, that, that do do that have kind of did that but mm-hmm. yeah I mean we've especially like I've got a lot of insight through my dad I mean my dad grew up in like Duke Street in the 50s 40s 50s and 60s born in the late 40s but 50s and 60s and worked in pubs in the East End of Glasgow in the 70s and 80s so mm. I heard some stories that would turn you know you literally yeah, yeah. like holy fucking shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some, some of the ones where when I went to uni and, and some people would be like, be like tell them a story they'd be like you sure? <laughs> you're like, and you're like yeah I'm telling you this shit happened so I maybe that's what we'll do we'll just take a wee note and I'll start that podcast in the morning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, if you get any sort of specific the Glasgow Bamcast <laughs> the Bamcast you could do like uh, the rebel crime show you know a sort of side piece uh, that one will go viral I guarantee it man people, um, people love that stuff if you get any sort of routines to keep yourself sort of motivated and inspired or is it just what you what comes up living in the moment type stuff have any routines like for me i've got i've got a few so i I do chanting in the morning for 20 minutes really yeah yep and then i'll do so the mindfulness meditation that you were speaking about breath mm-hmm. work i do that in the evening for 10 minutes so i do like half an hour meditation every day i try and get that in every day but also i've got like things like gratefulness like write down three things every day. I got that for like Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. I basically just like jigsaw puzzled yeah. loads of like sort of <laughs> self help stuff and just yeah. put it together. And went, 
here's what works for me, sort of um, combined with CBD and psilocybin, and <laughs> that, yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. like not like a, a routine, but that's basically how that I, I've built up a sort of positive mindset. Okay. Keep myself motivated. My mm-hmm. habits up until very recently have involved just drinking shit tons of bourbon. So I've so I found that worked <laughs> for me for quite a period of time. So I'll do it. <laughs> Aye, it works. Well, people doing on it, but fuck them. <laughs> it do, I mean, it works, but I think yeah, the next day <laughs> yeah, you yeah, need to yeah. keep drinking that, that bourbon every day. But do you have any sort of like practices or? It would be mostly around mm. things like meditation. Um, I was telling you, like in this flask of what's called Pu'er tea, it's called, mm-hmm. which is uh, something. It was so I, I dabbled with bulletproof coffee and stuff back in the day, and various uh, like nootropics and uh, kind Alpha of cognitive enhancers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and even some more sort of extreme stuff, modafinil and right. phenylparacetam and various different racetam groups and all that sort of stuff. Um, Are these like Adderall type things or something? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Uh, just really things that will give you some sort of brain boost or kind of shift. It's becoming more and more a thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's quite I, big in America. All, all these types of yeah. enhancements yeah. and like shrimp tech and Aye, like yeah. sort of mush- well, mushroom yeah, yeah. extract and. <laughs> Sort of like herbal versions yeah. and synthetic versions of these things. But yeah. Do you found that they worked? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You get that I mean, sort of the, buzz. Like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, medafinil's pretty much the sort of uh, the godfather of a lot of them that you can you can purchase it um, online. And that, I suppose, the film Limitless, mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper was loosely based. The NZT48 was very loosely based on medafinil. Um, medafinil is fundamentally a uh, an anti-narcolepsy drug so it's just, you know people who have a problem falling asleep you give them modafinil it keeps them awake and they give it to jet pilots and all this sort of stuff right, because okay. it makes them like laser focused uh, so if you've got a task that needs done and you take some modafinil you're just like absolutely in the in the zone and it's great for that it's terrible for things like having a chat yeah because you're just so like your brain's just tuned up to like a hundred okay. and it's very difficult to just be relaxed and in the moment right uh, so that feels like the kind of state of mind that i try and actively manage to avoid on a day-to-day basis is that, that it feels almost no panicky but like what you're describing feels almost kind of manic in a lot of senses yeah, to yeah, me which is yes something that i actively try and steer clearly which is quite a quite an odd thing to go and seek out yeah again it depends what the objective or the intention is behind it for something like maybe weight training you know like a a good friend of mine uh, was on a bbc um program speaking about modafinil and he could take it for various benefits he's a uh, um a world record-breaking extreme unicyclist right so something like that for (laughs) him would be Top of sentences I wasn't expecting the other day (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah so for that for that purpose it works a treat um, but yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, certainly in this sort of uh, in in this sort of environment, I prefer now to be in a far more relaxed, kind of chilled out, uh, more subdued state mm-hmm. than you know Red Bulled up to the max because I just find it's it's too much. Yeah, it's too much to try and control that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's exciting enough just being in conversation with you guys. Well, you know, <laughs> a, I like your saying for anymore. weight training. I mean, like things like. Kong, have you ever seen like testosterone boosters? Okay, yeah, yeah. They're the same. You feel yeah. like you're literally on the edge of control. It's yeah, like yeah. Your, your brain's going at like a million miles a second. But when you're in and you're lifting weights, it's so good. 
I've just, it's I've just, just at the image of my guy, and my of this guy who invented these pills, and he's been like, "Pure, this is going to be, you know, such a positive for the world." And what he got out it was extreme unicycling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm now just stuck on extreme unicycling, so I'm like, "What?" <laughs> oh, oh, so we kind of digressed a wee bit. I think, uh, yeah, habits, man. Yeah, um, the poor tea is a good one. Meditation's a good one. But in terms of like future goals and focus and whatnot, it's just kind of rinsing and repeating what I've been doing, trying to get just some like really, really big guests. But even man, to that end, like I don't know that, that so I don't, I don't aspire to be a celebrity. I don't aspire to make millions of pounds from podcasting because I don't really want to do advertising on the podcast. I prefer mm-hmm. it just to remain what yep. it is and kind of maintain the integrity of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd maybe consider a sponsor, um, but even then I'm not entirely sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have any sort of, um, you know, audacious goals or anything around a certain number of subscribers or views or whatever it is. I'm just, I'm driven by having quality conversations. And if I continue doing that, well, yeah, I'm, like I'm loving it anyway. It makes no difference. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. I just keep, keep doing it, you know, That's just uh, stay the path. Where we've landed. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if we're producing content that we're happy with, and I think, you know, I feel anyway, as though we consistently have since we started, then I don't, you know, it's no broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We'll obviously distill some of it down over, the, over time, and there has been stuff that we've toyed with in and out and stuff, and there will be stuff we do in the future, including, you know, we've had conversations about how we want to approach sponsorship and all this kind of same as yourself, and kind of in the same boat where I'm not really hugely interested in taking anybody's money to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more like the things <laughs> like the playlists and mm-hmm. just creating more content and doing maybe wee short versions, like 15 minute, like just our own opinions rather than like a guest because it's, yeah. it's hard you know yeah. you want to try and keep it more about the guest than, than about yourself but then if you're just spewing out stuff then <laughs> yeah. you've got to have like a wee 15 minutes um, just to, to wrap up like I quite liked that you asked people like how they would improve the world and like your podcast so mm-hmm. how would you what, what do you think we're going to move forward next t- 10 20 years I mean we've got loads coming up that you're into like AI Mm -hmm. um, and things like Andrew Yang in America looking at sort of basic income it looks to be that things are going to change pretty rapidly I mean things have changed pretty rapidly over the last 20 years Mm -hmm. but how do you see it going? I don't know that I'm that optimistic if I'm totally honest I think things as a whole will get a lot worse before they get any better I think as a as a kind of race, if you look at our collective consciousness, I think we calibrate probably pretty low. Um, I think that, you know, if if you consider the optimal uh, kind of threshold or or living environment for a human to be unconditional love, we're a long way off that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of judgment. There's a ton of hate. There's a lot of pride. There's a lot of anger. And I just think like trying to dissolve a lot of that stuff. um, It's got to be a big task. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how interested you guys are in things like astrology. It's not something that I massively dabble in, but I know mm. that we're, um, according to the the experts, we're in the Aquarian age, which means the sort of dismantling of the patriarchy and yep. all this sort of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um, but I don't really know in the immediate term. Um, I think people are just going to get angrier and angrier until the sort of balloon bursts. And I don't know if that means a culmination like a world war or whether it's just like riots in the streets with Donald Trump and Brexit and like mm. there's just this 
constant. Yeah. Why know. do you think? I'm that... I feel like Western civilization is yeah. heading. I wouldn't necessarily, although there is trouble around the world. I, I think it's going to be maybe a civil war yeah. within. I mean, yeah. look at the way, as you say, Trump in America, mm. Brexit in the UK. These things are now starting to take root in Italy and Greece. You know, obviously Spain unsettled mm-hmm. across Europe, and I think the real likelihood is you know, a massive civil war across, you know, sort of civilised mm-hmm. Western, you know, culture. Some sort of, some sort of cataclysm, I think. In Scotland, sure. we've seemed to want to detach for that. So, if you remember, I was talking to somebody about this the other week, and I was like, this is a good analogy for the sort of independence movement, was is that the riots, if it was at 2016, the riots started in London, 2015, mm-hmm. and it made its way to Manchester, and everybody mm. went, Glasgow, and we went, fuck you, <laughs> we're not doing it, like, yeah. we'll take care of ourselves, like, yeah. we don't want to fight each other, uh-huh. but there seems to be this sort of progressive sort of helicopter overhead, all the neighbours have clocked us, I mean, that guy could have stood back consideration there. <laughs> um, we seem to have, like, took this step, it seems to be that we've rebelled against this sort of like this, what you're describing, this sort of anger and more of a favour for the hope over fear sort of message that mm. came out in sort of 2014. Mm-hmm. But do you think that that's maybe been because of sort of Thatcherism and the way that Scotland's been treated in the post-industrial age where we've already experienced what the rest of the West is experiencing now, which is that we're losing everything that mm. we that we held, that we thought was our identity because mm-hmm. we had the shipyards, with the steelworks, that was our country. It wasn't just Sheffield and sort of parts of the north of England where the south was detached from yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. We'd all of that ripped away from us and we've already went through. I mean, the 90s in Scotland was, especially Glasgow and Dundee and these places, was kind of horrific. And mm-hmm. we've come out the other side of it with this. Let's try and fix ourselves and let's help each other. I feel like that okay. anyway, living in Scotland. Yeah. Whereas the rest of the sort of West is just sort of like what we're saying is starting to get this real anger about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, see, perception is uh, just so interesting because I'd have said that there was a, a significant portion of Scotland that were engaged in sort of anger and whatnot. And it, I, I think a lot of it is to do with the independence um, movement. And I don't think... I'm not saying this is a negative, but I think that obviously people who wanted independence are very frustrated at the fact that we didn't become an independent country. And mm. so there is, there's definitely a sort of latent anger around that. Um, but again, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not best placed to know what sort of Scotland or the Scottish archetype, like their views on things. Mm. You know, like if, if I look at myself, for example, I'm you know, a fairly middle-class person living in Edinburgh in a fairly comfy environment. Like, mm. I don't, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just mm. a very skewed perspective that I have. Um, and and even the people around me, my peer group, probably aren't the sorts of people that necessarily, yeah. like, it's hard for you know the intricacies or nuances of all this the stuff that's going on in Scotland as a whole. Yeah, it's um, harder for you to relate to I think it what's is. driving just, people's desire for independence being... because it's not your experience. Well, that's it, man. I just think I... Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of like, uh, what's the word? Humble sounds too, too like I'm up myself, but you know, I'm just, I, I sort of try and, um, yeah, I can, I can only see things how I see them sort of. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's an, that's something that. I don't want that to be a cop out. No, no, not at all. But <laughs> because it's that's it's, that's interesting that I was trying to 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 relate that to somebody where I was saying to them that you're 
your way of seeing things is only your way of seeing things because of the things that you've been through. Exactly. And to think that other people are stupid because they don't see things the way that you see it is actually moronic. Yeah. And like actually a wee bit sort of crazy if mm-hmm. you think that, I, why can't people see things the way that I see it? Like I, <laughs> I was born a woman. But what if you're always right? Matt's just sitting there going what people don't see things the way that people disagree with me I'm like what just to quickly interject one of my favourite things is like so um, you know I've got close family members that have extremely rigorous and sort of solid ideas around something any topic right and I say to them like but if there's somebody else that has the complete reverse like in in terms of a a sort of polar opposite perspective Mm. to you then who's right and who's wrong? Like, are you right and they're wrong or are they right and you're wrong? Like, you can't both be right and you can't both be wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, sh- there's just, there's two sides to absolutely everything. Definitely. And it's being, it's having the self-awareness to be able to realize, like, where you are and your own beliefs mm-hmm. and whatnot and to at least respect um, or allow the other people to think what they think based on their own level yeah. of where they're at. Even if they're wrong. I think that, <laughs> well, I think that that's a good answer to the question of where are we going in the next sort of 10 to 20 years where I think that that is exactly it, that we need to get to the point where other people's ideas are valid to other people and we mm. realise that it's not just about like your perception is correct mm. because your perception is right for you. Absolutely. But the other people's perception. Yeah. Um, I was trying to say to somebody about, because I was, I, I was born in a working class community and in some ways I've transcended it and so is Matt. We're probably considered now part of the middle class. Like if I was to put my salary and I mean, my I'm statistics... I'm still in I'm probably one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, but if you Aye. were to put your statistics into any sort of barometer of Aye, how the it's class measured. system, yeah. how it's measured, we would be considered the lower end of the middle class. Mm. So I've kind of transcended it. I was trying to say to the guy, this guy was a working class guy, and I was trying to say, if you went to a private school and all you've known is money, mm. then of course you're going to be conservative. Mm-hmm. Like, of course you're going to think that yeah. people, oh, well, they're just lazy because that is what your parents have said to you is that I worked for this and I gained this. And but yeah. So just, I think that that is a really good way of looking at what is the way forward. The way forward is trying <clears> to gain an understanding of what people that aren't like you see mm-hmm. and yeah. why have they came to these conclusions and how do we find a middle ground to try and sort I think that? one of the most yeah, important yeah. things in that respect and I think it kind of ties in with some of what we've been discussing already and that one of the things I think people don't do anymore is that they're so entrenched they don't they don't let other people change their minds so mm-hmm. like I have a fairly sizable history of pretty extreme opinions mostly for just nonsense purposes but at the same time <laughs> like a day and it's one of the biggest lessons i learned in life was actually like no just like following somebody for the alt-right on twitter or whatever it is but like if somebody actually come at me with a valid point i actually factor that in and, and allow people to change my mind you know what i mean like, and yeah. i think that that's when we talk about these extremes on you know social media and so anywhere in the modern world like that's one thing that I, I don't see an awful lot is people going do you know what man you were right there actually that's that, what you've said there has changed my opinion on mm-hmm. what I now think mm-hmm. and I don't think I, I personally don't see it a lot you know what it's, I mean I just don't I don't think people uh, have an appetite to challenge their own beliefs enough mm. or, or or you know really analytically look at themselves and the way that they see the world and be like right so I think this 
How about I to choose a counterpoint and try and argue in favor of that and then see where I land? Mm. So like for myself, I have incredibly um, fluid views on most things. I can probably be talked one way or the other because I just don't have this attachment to the need of being right. Mm. So I just like, if you think that, you know, Scottish independence, for example, um, I interviewed Tommy Sheridan. I voted no um, when it took place mm-hmm. based on things like economic uncertainty. I wasn't convinced with the people that were leading the country at the time. Mm. There was a, a number of reasons and I can, I can kind of justify you know, well enough, my reasons then. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I sat down and had an interview with Tommy Sherrod and a lot of the things he said were really compelling to the point I was like, I could actually see myself voting, you know, for independence if it mm-hmm. came around again. Mm-hmm. You, t- you have to make decisions based on everything at that time, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very open to new ideas and change. Yeah, I think this is something that a lot of people are going to have to come to terms with because we were talking recently um, outside of the episodes about obviously the you know the independence referendum and i think at, at the last referendum you know obviously gordon brown came in the last minute made a whole load of promises that most days on the other side of the argument realized were almost certainly bullshit at the time and and that proved to be the case and we'll you know probably get some similar variation at next time around as well mm-hmm. um but i get why people voted to stay away the union because they actually did have the high ground in terms of the argument they had stability they had history they had finance they had all these things because you know there was a stable union at the time but i think mm-hmm. where we are now with brexit and stuff like that yeah every strength that was legitimately there as part of the no campaign that stability that we, we were going to face massive stabi- instability either way we're going to face massive uncertainty either way mm-hmm. and i think the question now becomes is this better for us to control the uncertainty ourselves or do we continue to trust somebody else exactly, yeah. who has never really acted in our best interests to now act in our best interests? And, uh, you know, for me, that point alone makes it a bit of a no-brainer, but I don't think people allow enough within mm. themselves to hear that argument and then, as you say, change their mind. You know what I mean? Like, so, But yeah, we'll see. The 2014 independence referendum was a breakthrough moment for me because I started it as... And I get shamed on Facebook for being a Celtic supporting unionist. Okay. Because I started it just going, look, I don't like salmon. Yeah. It's no salmon. Oh, I like salmon. I love salmon. Um, but <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I was like, I, I don't, I, I had grown up with my dad saying that the SNP were the Tartan Tories and that they had yeah. sided with the, the Conservatives and every vote, and blah, blah, mm. blah. And no, we don't trust them. And I was a, a, a staunch Labour supporter just based on legacy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. my mind got changed. And I think that that was one of the very first times in my life where I had actually changed my mind. I mean, I was quite young, when yeah. I was in my mid-20s, where I had took something that had been given to me down by my parents and decided to go, I don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was a real breakthrough moment for me. And say, um, again, come back to like that question that I asked, like, where do we go? I think ideal fluidity is mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. That we don't get stuck in identity and yep. going, this is it because that is just what I think and will justify it. Like you're saying, if, if somebody sits in front of me and goes, I voted no, I'm not going to boo them. No. If they can say, these are the reasons why I did it. Yeah. We need them. That's totally <laughs> yeah. cool. Like, <laughs> that's totally cool with me. But then there are still, and I think this is where we are, people can't do that. They refuse to do it because... Mm-hmm. 
then that would mean questioning everything about themselves. But that is probably quite a healthy practice to have. So just question yourself. So someday I'll ask you again. Your daily practice is just got to question myself. <laughs> question <constantly. laughs> <laughs> so ex existential crisis five <laughs> times a day. <laughs> so where can people find you? Dude, uh, Elliot Reeves or Inspired Edinburgh, you know, if, if you punch that into Google or anywhere on social, then you'll you'll find me, no doubt. Yeah, I'd, it'd be good to hear from people what they think. Yeah, man. Hopefully it's been I don't get flamed too much. Pleasure talking to Thank you. Absolutely, man. Yeah, it's been, for honestly, coming through. Yeah, it's been brilliant Just chatting a, to you guys. I really, cool really enjoyed conversation it. conversation and this is, again, what I was saying and when we were talking about doing an episode, this is exactly what we'll, we'll try to do. Just sit down, talk to people and see what comes up, man. So awesome. thanks very much. It's a pleasure, guys. Cheers. Cheers.